and welcome to Voices and Queries, the podcast from VNQ Books. VNQ Books publishes remarkable writing from Germany in English. Today I'm talking to Abigail Wender in New York, the translator of the Bureau of Past Management. We heard from the book's author, Iris Hanika, in the previous episode. I'm Katie Derbyshire, publisher at VNQ Books. The Bureau of Past Management is set in real-life Berlin, but parts of it take place inside the fictitious bureau of the title, where the protagonist Hans Frambach works, archiving documents from Germany's most tragic era of history. We see his struggles with life in a country that once murdered millions of Jews and his dedication to not allowing the Nazis' crimes to be forgotten. At the same time, he's critical of some ways in which remembering the atrocities has been professionalised and also worried that he isn't feeling enough. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. Can you set the scene for us? Where are you right now? I'm in New York. I'm in my uh, apartment and in my library that I set up in one of the kids' bedrooms since they are no longer kids. <laughs> so that's where I am. This is where I work. And uh, it's, it's very nice to, to be here with you, Katie. Oh, <laughs> likewise. Thank you. Um, so you've previously been known, Abby, as a poet. Your collection Reliquary was published earlier this year. Tell us how you went from poetry to translation. I started when I was in my MFA program. I compared a bunch of different translations of poems And I found that work so interesting and so fascinating, and it revealed so much about language to me that I began to think, well, when I finish, I'm going to take up German, which had been a language I studied earlier, uh, and I'm going to translate because I'm no longer going to teach. So that's what I wow. did in 2010, and I, I started <laughs> with a few poems, and then um, I really loved it. Uh, I think it was as interesting to me as writing and also a, kind of a wonderful addendum to writing. Writing can be, you have to make everything up and it can be, it just doesn't always, you know, there's a lot of downtime with that. And yeah. with coming to translation, you are always engaged in in what words are doing yeah. and the tone and, and different meanings. I loved it. So that's yeah. that's where I began. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. And I know you and the writer Iris worked quite closely on, on this particular translation. How and where did that happen? How did it come about? Well, it came about, I'd studied for three weeks in Germany in 2015, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I met a woman who knew Iris. And so she put me in touch with Iris when Iris came here to, to be writer in residence at um, Deutsche House at NYU. Yeah. So we began, um, we met and we just hit it off. Uh, and that was in 20, early in 2016. So that was a pretty fraught year. Uh, and she, I gave her some of the poems that I had translated. She gave me her book, Das Eigentliche, and said, well, why don't you translate it? And I, <laughs> yeah, sure. I said, wait, I, I write poetry. <laughs> I translate poetry. Uh, yeah, no, no problem. And one thing that is a little odd is that because it's written in these short sections, yeah, I thought, well, maybe it's possible to do this. You know, it doesn't look too daunting. Little did I know. <laughs> uh, so I, I tried to translate that first chapter, that mm -hmm. powerful 
little poem and I got hooked. So that's where it it started. And then it was really lucky. Iris came the next year here for a couple of weeks and worked together with me. And then she invited me to um, Rome to work with her. And that's where I finished the first draft with her in Rome. So that was really useful uh, to work together, especially since I'd never translated a novel before. So it was really um, important to work with her. And there's so many difficulties in this book that I, I really love the, I love the collaboration actually. It was, it was really fun. It's a wonderful start to a a prose translating because we don't always have that luxury of, of, of working with the writer. It's great. That's true. And asking a few questions. For instance, I could say, do you mind if I put this in uh, or I really don't understand your point here, which of course was a little frustrating for her, but (laughs) ultimately we worked it all out. (laughs) And now we're, we became very good friends. And I think um, it was a wonderful, you know, you could be maybe too close to your author, but I think we worked that out. Yeah. Well, it's a very yeah. special relationship always, I think, writer and translator. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the book's title. As you mm-hmm. mentioned, it was originally called Das Eigentliche in German. So how do you understand the concept of Das Eigentliche? And, and what was your path to the title we, we have at the end, the Bureau of Past Management? That was a long haul, actually. <laughs> to me, Das Eigentliche is very internal. What is the kernel of the protagonist? And that's what it refers to. What does he see as his motivating issue? Mm. And I think we all have something that is very internal to us each. But in this particular book, Das Eigentliche refers to his personal and philosophic and emotional misery having to do with the crimes of the past, having to do with the Holocaust, and how he understands what's going on, how he understands history, and his own relationship to it. So for a long time, I I called the book The Essential, because I thought of it as essential. Mm -hmm. But in English, and you and I spoke about this later, it it falls a little bit flat and diffuse. I I think it has to do with the differences between our two languages, German Mm -hmm. and English. Perhaps. That, that, that's how I began to understand it. And I think the Bureau of Past Management, as I came to that differently, but then it became t- to me to be where I would want a reader to go, mm-hmm. to go to what is this place and how could you manage the past or how could yeah. you cultivate the past? You can't really do either, you think, but of course you can. So that's what I wanted to point at, that absurdity. Yeah. which is also at the heart of the book. And maybe for a, for a non-German reader, more important, because our essential, it, it doesn't, we don't share that, that um, particular sense of guilt. Very much so, yes. We share perhaps others, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So that's how I came to understand it. And the, the idea of, you know, when I, when I started this, I was viewing this book as a little bit of a, comparison to things that have gone on in the United States. So I was thinking Mm -hmm. a lot about the Black Lives Matter movement and Mm -hmm. about, this is 2016, 2015, 16, 17, and about um, the Bureau of Land Management, which is also euphemistic, which historically has been the 
federal organization that was in charge of indigenous people's land. Yeah. So it also was quite, yeah. has a fraught history. Yeah. So, yes. And so I was looking and looking for, because the Wirtschaftung doesn't quite, it isn't quite management. It also means farming and cultivation, but in English, those are all different words. So that's where I landed on past management. Brilliant. I'm so glad you did. Yeah, well. <laughs> I think it's a, a marvellous solution and, and I hope a very attention-grabbing title. I hope so. <laughs> well, let's hear a, a little section from the book uh, where we meet Hans Frambach moving around the city. Yes, I chose this um, particular passage where Hans is coming home from work and uh, he's had a hard day, as he always has. So it begins with this little bit of proofrock, T.S. Eliot's poem. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. Since he was looking forward to talking to Graziella later, his walk home was easier than usual. I should say that Graziella is the other protagonist in this book, and it's, it's his best friend. Let us go then, you and I. Even so, his path led over tiny gold-hued cobblestones engraved with names and placed in front of the homes of the people whose names were on the tiny memorial stones. And beneath the name of each resident, the date of his birth and when and to where he'd been deported, and the date of his death, all was prior to 1945. The stones were also in front of the new houses erected on the site of the ones formerly occupied by people named on the stones, the old buildings having been destroyed in the war are no longer in existence for another reason. The dates so familiar of the residents' deportations and deaths were never too far apart, and they were always dead before the end of the war, or missing, the resident or householder, women and men, children and the elderly. Frambach didn't want to step on the tiny gold-hued headstones, on the many stones one could read the names of several people who had belonged together, the whole family deported like cattle. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky. Of course, this evening, as on every other evening, today, as on countless days, he walked carefully between the gold-hued memorial stones, gold-hued, teeny-tiny stones, careful, careful never to accidentally step on these stones, never tread on the name, deported on, to Auschwitz, never let street dirt touch the name, deported on, to Treblinka, never touch the names, deported on, to Theresienstadt. For so long, it had seemed there were a thousand little memorial stones and no world between them. For so long, he'd walked as if the pavement had no regular stones, only those gold-hued headstones. He didn't need to think. His wooden body walked automatically, the caution deep in his bones. Some stones had gone dark because they'd been there a long time. They looked like real cobblestones, these teeny tiny memorial stones for murdered people, people who had become unique through no accomplishment, about whom nothing was particularly unusual until their names turned up on a list, a deportation list, and then they became very special, unlike any other people. 
and the ordinary gray footpath had become his stepping stones over a sea of little memorial stones, gold-hued or tarnished. So many, so many little memorial stones. So many, 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 so many, so many, so many. He wore his coat like a shield. He hadn't buttoned it up, but held it together, his left hand above his heart. With the right hand, he clasped the handle of his ancient, well-worn brown leather briefcase. He bent forward slightly, fixing his gaze on the path between the stones, checking his route. In the blink of an eye, he saw the stones his feet might touch, though they were protected by shoes and socks from making real contact. He placed each foot painstakingly, not to stumble on the many cobblestones, so many stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks, the official name of the tiny gold-hued memorial stones, was conceived by an artist as a public art installation. He continues to make and install them. In the meantime, they have become a staple of German cities like streets, buildings, and sewer systems. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. Evening had already begun. It wouldn't be long now before he talked to Graziella, the only person with whom he ever spoke, who ever spoke to him, the only one, a golden stepping stone in a grey sea. That's amazing. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. Um, now, you and I know <laughs> translating is never exactly easy, uh, but I suspect this one was particularly challenging. Was there anything you found especially difficult and challenging about working on the Bureau of Past Management? Well, I think overall, what was most challenging for me was learning about the history, the post-war history, and the way in which Iris weaves in historical details and references and citations. Mm -hmm. I think that was just a huge learning curve for me as a person, since I didn't study post-war yeah. Germany. And it is very important to the book. There are references that add these textures and layers to the book that yeah. were uh, both exciting and sometimes, you know, just difficult to, ask, you know, find out what it, what, what was she doing? What was it meaning? Yeah. And then philosophically also to think about how the Holocaust has been remembered in Germany. One, one, yeah. I tend to think that uh, what has been done is very positive and it's very different from what has been done in the states also to you know inquire about that to really look at it more deeply and to see how complicated it really is so i found those all challenging and those are sort of the larger meta things that were challenging mm. there were also yes. sort of minor things like gendered nouns um oh, and even in that yeah. little piece that i just read yeah. um you know my first draft had something like mistress and master of the house and then i was just like no yeah. <laughs> we can't do that that's <laughs> not right you know householder resident um and so many things like that were were they're small yeah. but they're very important they they really inform the reading. Yeah. So as you know, as a translator, those things really do land or don't land for the for the reader. Right. If someone's scratching their head about the nuances, they're not going to get through the book. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And I love in that passage how you picked up on the the Elliot, and you have the so many, so many, which 
we hear it so much more clearly in the English than than it would have been in the German. So it's, I feel like there's set that we talk often about things getting lost in translation. I think we hmm. we find things too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. But yes, I think the many, many, many is different from feel of feel of somehow it rings differently. Yeah. No, it, yeah. Yes, again, I, I, as a translator, I, I often um, I often get incredibly close to the characters as I kind of rewrite their thoughts in my own words. Mm. So what did it feel like to put yourself inside this protagonist's head, Hans Frambach, who has a, you know... He's a complicated person, I'd say. He really is complicated, and I don't like everything about him, no. but that's okay, because I loved other things about him. I think I empathized with him. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to read that passage because I think the loneliness of this character really got to me, and I ended up very much being in his court, as it were, yeah. and wanting to show not only... A, Yes, he's miserable and he, he is ill in some ways and lonely, but I also thought his guilt and sense of obligation really struck a chord in me. I think those are my own subjects as a writer, so I yeah. think I didn't even know that when I started, but I began to see, oh, we have something in common. I don't have those issues, but I have other issues that I mm. that I struggle with and deal with in my own work. And mm. so I felt very close to him and very connected to him finally. Although I disagree yeah. with him on many personal <laughs> other issues, but <laughs> um <laughs> thank goodness, but yeah. but I did feel close to him. I, I, I mean, I think there's a good reason why most of this book is in third person, right? It's, it's very close yeah. to him, yeah. but there's always a little bit of a, tiny bit of a separation. A little bit of a break, yeah. yeah. I love that yeah. you mentioned, I love that you mentioned empathizing with him, and I think often translation really requires that empathy that we, we, we kind of put ourselves in the writer's place and, and as readers in the character's place, but there's a kind of twofold empathizing going on uh, when we mm -hmm. translate. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. I think you're right, because, yeah, and also always keeping in mind that the writer has a goal somehow. Yeah. That there's things being knit through that we have to pick up on. We have to see that they're yes. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, no, I think you've done an amazing job. No, thank you. I don't... <laughs> I did the best I could do. <laughs> so. <laughs> Always, yes. Yeah. Um, and so at the end of the book, there's your translator's notes, mm -hmm. where, where you write a little bit about the novel's relevance outside of Germany. You've spoken a bit about that today as well. And you, you quote James Baldwin. Can I ask what it, what, the, what it means to you specifically and personally? Do you think readers will draw very different conclusions outside of Germany? to those of us inside Germany who can relate more directly? Um, I guess I, I'm not sure what conclusions you're, you're, spe you're specifically relate, you're, you're referring to, but I think, mm -hmm. I think my sense was if you read this book and come away with some thoughts or deeper thinking about what it means to deal with historical and past events and how they affect you as a human being on a personal level, then the book, for me, has done its its job. It made me think that way. It made me think about our world in a different way. 
so I, so that's what I was looking at. I think the James Baldwin quote came up in my mind because he says, this is a crime of which I accuse my country. So he's talking in 1962 about slavery, and he's talking about it as a crime, yeah. a singular crime, which I found very strange when I began this translation that Hanukkah Iris talks about the Holocaust as a crime. And I struggled with that, actually, yeah. understanding what, why and what, and I needed to sort of decide that I was all right with that and, and work with it. So I was fascinated that there was that confluence that he views it as a crime, um, a crime against humanity. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it, in both cases it stresses the enormity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Alongside your creative work, you're also the president of the nonprofit Friends of Writers. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that organization. <laughs> well, Friends of Writers is an organization that was begun to raise money for the MFA program I went to. So it, it has a particular function in trying to um, support adult yeah. writers who want to study further. And I went to an MFA program as an adult writer. And um, I think our mission is to make it possible in an ideal world for anyone who didn't have the funds and wanted to spend two years studying to move on to that next level. And so that's what we try and do. That's what we raise money for and to ensure that American writing reflects all different kinds of voices. So that is very important to me, obviously. I'm, that's, you know, I'm not an activist, so this is my act of being in the world as a, as a public person, yeah. I guess. Um, I'm also involved with an organization called um, the Poetry Society, yeah. and we also are trying to put poetry in public places. So, wow. you know, those are my, what I can do since I'm not teaching any longer. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that the MFAs introduced you yes. to the art of translation and, and, and hopefully many more future students as well. I think it's becoming more and more of interest, translation. I'm not sure why. I don't know that I understand why, but there seems so much more interest in translation and, and voices from other worlds. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I love translation. I always read translation from the time I could read. So I don't know what I would have done without those those Russian novels that Constance Garnett uh, translated. I know it's out of fashion right now, but I don't care. Yeah, That's yeah. what introduced me to it all. So I do love her. <laughs> that's, yeah, those that original. Exactly, that's the that's voice right. you read the Russians in, and that's right. the one it will right. remain right. in. Your I'll head. compare to the others, but yes, it, it remains within yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that seems a good note to end on, thinking of translators changing our lives. Um, so thank you so much, Abby. Thank you so much, Katie. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And it's been a, a joy to work with you in general. I'm quite awed by your impressive achievement in translating this, this very complex novel. Well done. It was a beautiful novel to translate. Yeah. I really, I loved it. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> I'm going to say thank you to our listeners as well while we're thanking everybody and, and ask you to please do seek out 
the Bureau of Past Management, see what you think, and if it changes the way you think as it has changed Abby's thinking. You can find V&Q Books via your local independent bookstore and via our website, vq-books.eu, where you can also find other episodes of the Voices and Queries podcast discussing other wonderful German books in translation. Look us up at your favourite purveyor of podcasts and check us out on social media. Our handle is vqbooks, because you can't do an ampersand on social media. So thanks again to Abigail Wender for today's conversation, to our podcast producer Susan Stone, and to Andy Sire for our theme tune. As I mentioned earlier, in our previous episode, we talked to the writer Iris Harnika about the Bureau of Past Management, so do have a listen to that one if you haven't already. Thank you for listening. I'm Katie Derbyshire. This podcast was co-funded by the European Union's Creative Europe programme.